Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Flood. And today I'm joined by the co-founder of Be Ninjas. It's a bookkeeping accounting firm which in just one year has grown to over 70 customers and approximately $15,000 a month in monthly recurring revenue. The business currently employs nine people in Australia, the U.S., the United Kingdom. And uh, the, the, the founder we have on the call today, she was really inspired by Dan Norris of the 7-Day Startup whom we had on this show, they were doing co-working together, she was doing consulting, but uh, not really feeling like she was getting ahead, you know, not really feeling like she was getting where she wanted doing that. And so uh, to, to support the lifestyle she wanted, she launched this business in just one week and created a profitable productized service business that is uh, doing quite well after one year. So if you're really interested in learning how to create a lifestyle business, how to create a business that works for you, to do uh, work that's smarter, not harder, you're really going to love this interview. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest, Meryl Johnson of Be Ninjas. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. I'm here on the Gold Coast waiting weather to find up so I can go for a surf. <laughs> so uh, tell me a little bit about your backstory and what was the seed that you planted with this uh Ninja's business. So back in 2013, I had launched a consulting business. That was my first step from leaving full-time employment. And initially, I loved the business. I was earning a good hourly rate and I had a lot of spare time to surf and to travel. But after about 12 months, I decided to scale the business and started hiring staff and going after big contracts. And that was where the business hit a blocking point. And I felt like I was working so many hours a week. Clients were calling me on the weekend. I I felt like I wasn't really running the lifestyle business that I had in mind. And so that was where I started looking for other options. And I came across the idea for Bee Ninjas, which is a a productized bookkeeping business, while I was doing a mastermind uh, with my now business partner, Ben. And I also had the idea mentioned to me, as as you mentioned in the intro, with – by Doris as creating the WP curve of accounting. And so with the productized service model, we rather than offering a customized service, which is what I did with the consulting business, we cut out 90% of the services and decided just to focus on bookkeeping and offer fixed fee packages rather than quoting and going through a lengthy negotiation and proposal process each time that we were to work with a new client. So I can see there's a lot of benefits and we've we've found that over the last 12 months with the productized service business model as compared to the consulting business model. Yeah, I used to hate that long lead generation time and preparing proposals, doing research, you know, having to compete for business with other uh, consultants or agencies. And uh, it's, it's really like it really wears on your nerves, doesn't it? It's horrible. There's so much to do as the business owner. So there was not only the ongoing project project delivery and making sure that clients were happy, but also keeping enough work in the pipeline, going to networking events, marketing the business. It just felt like there was never-ending work. Yeah, and it's so hard to focus on growing your own business when you have to bend over backwards for your client, clients. Like you said, you were working so many hours. They were you know, giving you rush delivery, uh, rush delivery work on the weekends, stuff like this. Because I and I've ran an agency for like four or five years, and I, I can distinctly recall what I was like, and often just feel like the business is not growing. You know, I'm, I'm getting results for the clients, but what about my business is working in the business and not working on it, right? Yeah, and, and that was the difficult thing. You'd, I would set aside time in my calendar to work on growing the business, and then there'd be another fire to put out. So I always felt like I was dealing with emergencies and putting out fires rather than planning for and growing a business. And I love systems and creating processes, but because of the nature of the consulting work I was doing, it was difficult to systemize the business. Each project was so different. 
So in one case, it might be implementing payroll software for a, a company with 100 employees and running training for them. And then the next project might be completely different. So it was difficult to put in place processes and create a system that I could train a team on. And that's the beauty with Bean Ninjas, where we're providing a clearly defined bookkeeping service. It's been much easier to create systems and create processes so that we can train a team and be confident that we're delivering a consistent service each time. So that's probably something else that I love about the business model. Yeah, it's predictable. You have stable revenue. It's a recurring process that you can duplicate over and over, over again with a good result. Yes, and you, you just mentioned recurring revenue, and that's one of my other, uh, I, I guess, with consulting, it's project-based and something that I was looking for when I was looking at other options outside of a consulting business model. Uh, some of the criteria was having a consistent cash flow and something where customers could be on a subscription. And and some businesses don't really lend themselves to a subscription. If it's a one-off service, just selling, then customers might ask, well, why should I sign up for a subscription? But some other services, for example, bookkeeping, do actually, it's something that needs to be done every month. So it does actually lend itself to having customers sign up on a subscription. And once you have those ongoing monthly subscriptions, it makes it much easier to plan for things like staffing, plan your cash flow and plan what you can spend on marketing or lead generation in future months. Yeah, and in my book, I talk about uh, this distinction as um, in my book, Buyer on Island, I talk about half business, which is hard, annoying, lame and frustrating versus an elf business, which is easy, lucrative and fun. And one of the characteristics was being able to uh, get full lifetime value monetization of each client. And I think the only way to do that is if you have some kind of recurring revenue model baked in, would you say? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember, and especially like, um, you know, as, uh, and you're an, you're an accountant too, not just a bookkeeper. So as an accountant, when you, when you do consulting with clients, you're not just, you know, managing their books, you're also helping them uh, on a case-by-case basis, would you say, right? Well, so that's what I used to do. That's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an accountant and my business partner is an accountant, but the service that we offer through Bean Ninjas is just bookkeeping. And there's a little bit of a, a gray area around what is bookkeeping and what is accounting. And, and I found that quite difficult initially because I can do accounting and I can provide advice around this is your set of numbers. Let's look at the story behind what do these numbers mean and how do we use these numbers to make decisions? And that was, I used to do that type of work in my consulting business, but that kind of advice isn't very scalable. And I wasn't confident that my bookkeepers would have the experience and the training to deliver that kind of advice. So that was actually a decision that we made not to offer that type of service. And so Mm -hmm. we actually partner with accountants. So each of our bookkeeping clients, we also, they all need to have an accountant as well. So the bookkeeping is the day-to-day processing of all of their transactions. And then the accountant is their advisor who helps them or helps minimize their tax and decide what the best business structure is and completes their annual tax return and also helps them if they wanted to run a cash flow forecast or some um, scenarios and look at the prof- profitability if they were looking at um, going down a different path with their business. So all of that kind of advice is actually done by accountants. And it was quite difficult for us at the start to say no to that kind of work because Ben and I can definitely do that kind of work, but we're trying to grow a business and scale it and scale ourselves out of the the service delivery. So we actually had to learn to say no to that type of work. And that that was difficult. Yeah, but I think there's a very valuable point there is that um, you're just not doing the kind of services that you don't want to do. And I think when you're in a project, you're doing project-based work versus a productized service, I mean, project-based work can be really hard. I remember remember reading a copywriter. uh, He he used this metaphor where he, he compared himself to like a gladiator. And he said that, Victory is rewarded by survival and a fresh set of hungry opponents. And I remember that uh, David Ogilvy, you know, every time he had like a new client, David Ogilvy was a legend of advertising, but he always felt like this time I will fail. You know, he always felt like he was challenged with each job that he was taking on, you know, that it was, you know, uh, more than what he could currently produce. And, um, 
And I think that, you know, also on this, this podcast, we had Jeffrey Shaw, and he said that, you know, especially like creatives, for, for instance, they think that what they get paid for the most has to be the hardest work. And he said, that's not true. You know, clients want to pay you for the work that seems easiest to you. You know, they're willing to spend a lot of money for that. And, and, and there's kind of a disconnect there because we feel like if we want to earn more, the work should be harder. Would you say? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's where pricing based on value, perceived value, rather than based on the cost or your time comes in. And so traditionally in accounting, um, fees generally been based on the hours worked and then a set alley rate. And that was something that we were conscious of when we were coming up with our prices. It wasn't about, well, how many hours at what alley rate will it cost to complete this work? We looked at what exactly what services would someone need at, at a particular size of business and what would be a price and, and how would they value that so rather than basing it on in terms of what it would cost and I think that yeah there's definitely a distinction there and that probably comes into your framework about um, doing the easier work rather than the harder work yeah exactly and so I'd like you to uh, walk me through some of the initial setup with Be Ninjas what did you find to be the most valuable in terms of uh, you know creating I, it's kind of like breaking that link of perceived value and time and coming up with that sweet spot where you know what people want, you can find uh, what, you can, what you can charge for it, how many hours it's going to take, and then you systemize it. Do you find that it was really valuable just to have a lot of conversations with potential clients? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's quite hard to, with a productized service to come up with the, the set or the fixed fees and the product without talking to customers. So we, Ben and I were lucky in that we had already talked with a lot of potential accounting customers in our previous businesses. So we already had a bit of a feel for common frustrations with bookkeeping and also approximate, approximately what someone would be willing to pay. And so when we first started, we we focused on the common frustrations. So the, the most common complaints about bookkeepers are that their work's not accurate, so you have to pay an accountant to fix it at a, at a much higher rate. That Often, they're quite slow to respond, so you might send an email and not get a reply back um, for seven days. And general turnaround times were slow. So when we, were, when we first started marketing Bean Ninjas, we addressed those pain points, but we also just talked with lots of customers and and basically experimented. So we launched the business and had a website up and our first paying customer in a week. And we weren't really sure whether we had done the pricing and the packages right. We weren't sure how, how it would go, but we launched and then we talked to lots of customers. And over those first three or four months, we, we made a lot of tweaks and adjustments to exactly what was included in each package and how much we would charge for it. And we gradually, over time, we were able to increase our prices. And we also dropped off some of the services that we thought customers would value, which we realized they didn't actually value and sometimes were taking us quite a bit of time to deliver. So, over time, that, that evolved. So you brought up some great points there, especially when you said you started with the frustrations that business owners had, uh, that your target market had. And I remember one of the, the best things, I think that's one of the best things you can do in your business. I remember one of the best things I did in my agency was um, identifying the frustration where with web design companies, you know, SEO companies, um, clients, like they complained of not having communication after the contract was signed. And it seems like that's a common frustration for your type of business as well. And um, one of the things I was proudest of was creating a system for communication, uh, you know, so that you could keep in touch with clients, you know, so you could touch them with some form of communication so they never feel any anxiety, never feel any frustration. And, um, and Dan Norris, whom we, uh, whom we mentioned earlier, like if you look on his website, wpcurve.com, you notice like he starts with the main frustration where he says, Imagine never having another WordPress headache, you know. So he's he knows his market so well that he knows what their problems are. You know, something will break on their website, uh, something will get hacked, and so he starts with that frustration. And it just when you when you can describe that problem so well, like they automatically assume that you understand them and you have the answer. Would you say that's true? 
Yeah, definitely. And I, and something else we've worked on is is looking at the language that that our target market used to describe these problems and then feeding it back in the content that cr- that we create and the the marketing material that we create. But something else that's interesting in terms of our ideal client. So when we first started, we didn't actually know who our ideal client was, which made it more, much more difficult to actually write copy that that spoke to that target market because we didn't really have one. We we were just trying to work with any small business. So bookkeeping for any small business was, was how we started out. And then over time, so probably after the first six months, we sat down and looked at the profitability of each of our customers, but but not just the profitability. It was more about who we liked working with and who loved working with us and was were telling their friends about us and referring other other colleagues or friends and family to us. And it was only then, so at the about the six-month mark, that we realized our ideal client was an online business owner. So someone with a SaaS product or a product type service or maybe an e-commerce business. And it was then that we started to create more content and target our marketing more directly to our, our ideal customer. And I think that's something that so many people struggle with. You know, other businesses that I've talked to, uh, they really don't know who their their target client is in the beginning at all. And a lot of them, like, they're not able to really define it. And I think that's that's something that really holds a lot of people back because if you're if you're not for anyone, then you're for no. I mean, if you're for everyone, then you're for no one, basically. And uh, those messages, like, when you try to reach out to these people, like, it, those messages fall on deaf ears. I think. Yeah, and I think it's a balancing act because when you're first starting, you want to you want to talk to as many people as possible so you can learn and get feedback and evolve your product. But I think you can sometimes be general for too long. So I think the faster that you can get that feedback from customers and then find your niche and and start focusing directly on your ideal customer, the better. But I think sometimes it feels like a risk if you're saying no to customers because they're not or you're not trying to attack, attract everyone and I think some business owners feel like they're not going to get enough business but I believe have confidence in your service and if you're tailoring it to a specific, a specific market then that market will feel like you're talking directly to them and want to work with you. Yeah and I feel like there's almost a trap there for uh, new entrepreneurs or first-time entrepreneurs because like you mentioned earlier you got a lot of your early business and your consulting from networking you know, you would go out to parties and stuff, shake hands, and people say, oh, I need some help with my accounting. And you say, yeah, sure, I can help you. And then you kind of get, like, sucked into working with anyone and everyone, I think. Um, yeah. And yeah. You, so you listen to their, their problems or their frustrations, and you know that you can come up with a solution. But the problem is you're coming up with custom solutions for everyone. So you're not creating a system or creating something that's scalable. And I definitely started off down that path. Most of my business came from networking initially with the consulting work. It came from personal networks, um, going along to events, chatting with people, following up, lots of coffees. And it was quite a slow way of getting business. (laughs) And also I was getting all different kinds of business. Yeah, so so I think think it's much better if you have like a better marketing plan, you know, where uh, like online marketing, for example, like you're able to more objectively look at uh, the leads that you're getting versus, you know, just like somebody's cousin or someone's sister or a friend who needs you know, help with their accounting. Like you can't really define like an accurate customer profile that way, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I think once you have a niche, then you can work on becoming a recognized expert in that niche. Whereas to be the expert bookkeeper for all industries it's pretty difficult to do that. But for us, we're focusing on being recognized as an expert bookkeeper for online business owners. And so it's much hard, it's, it's much easier to become an expert in that one area of bookkeeping. And so we focus on that and we spend a lot of time in communities for online entrepreneurs at trying to build our profile as experts in our, in our field of bookkeeping. Yeah, that's a great point. Whenever you can be like the first or the largest or the best that serves a, a specific niche, uh, then you've got something that's uh, that can get people's attention, I think. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And then you can kind of be create a little bit of exclusivity. Um, the, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I feel like a lot of business owners, um, you know, they never really they never really turn the corner. Like I, I when I started, I was in this uh, business referral group and. I see a lot of business owners who are like, you know, 50, 60, 65, 70 years old, and 
they still get all of their business from networking, you know, from handing out business cards, stuff like this. They never really like shift to creating a marketing system to doing online marketing effectively. And if they do, you know, they just hire some consultants who they don't even know what they're doing. You know, they don't really have a, a handle on it. Why would you say that is? And how can people change, you know, to, to create like a profitable lead generation marketing system? It's funny you say that. <laughs> I used to be in one of those um, business <laughs> refer. I was in BNI, which is a business yeah. referral group for local businesses. And I was there for about six months. And really, I didn't get any new clients who were in our target market. And then I realized why. It was because the business owners were all focused on local business and local relationships. And that might work well for, some, for example, something like a plumber where they have to turn up to your house, then it makes sense to um, network with people in your local area. But for something like our business or say digital marketing, you could be servicing a client on the other side of the world. So why focus on your local area? And I think that's with these business owners, it was just what they knew and it was the only way they've ever done business. And because they were only doing business in their local area, it's hard to find a niche because if the the web designer focused just on tradies, there might not be enough people within this particular niche in his local area. And I think that was the issue because they were thinking locally. Whereas if that same web designer was thinking globally, then there'd be heaps of people in his particular niche. So I think it's about changing a mindset and and thinking about, well, is your business, does it have to be a local business or could you actually be servicing people that don't live in the same city as you? And once you think like that, it's much easier to find a niche and then become an expert in that niche. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right when it's, it's really about mindset. And I think that, uh, you know, looking back, I was in one of those groups for over a year and I just like, I need to find another way because I don't want to be one of these people in 40 years. <laughs> and I think part of it was I had to get over myself. Like, I feel like there wasn't, I felt as though there weren't enough customers out there online. You know, I didn't realize how powerful the internet was, and it wasn't really even until last year, January of last year, when I launched my book, that I made my first dollar online, and I realized that, you know, customers can come from Africa, Egypt, China, you know, South Africa, uh, Europe, anywhere. And um, it was definitely like a, a leap I had to make, you know, like leaping from off the cliff and hoping that there would be a landing at the bottom or, you know, a soft landing. Yeah, we, <laughs> it was similar for us because bookkeeping and accounting are quite high trust purchases. So traditionally, you would meet with your accountant or your bookkeeper face to face and they would have been recommended to you probably by a friend. So you've already established that trust. And that was something that we struggled with initially. Well, how are people going to trust us if they've never met us and they don't know anyone who has worked with us previously? And I think that's where the power of content marketing comes in. So with a high trust purchase like bookkeeping, someone doesn't Google bookkeeping and then come to our website and sign up the next day. It just doesn't work like that. We'd love it. We were hoping that it would work like that, but we realized quite quickly that it doesn't. And so that was where having content guest posting on other sites and gradually building trust with potential customers over time, I think that has helped us. So the power of content. Okay. So content is really important for trust relationship building. I think you mentioned, I know that you're in several Facebook groups where your target market is as well. And I think you can follow the Gary Vee strategy, like jab, 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 hook. So people know who you are. They, they understand your business. Like these are really similar to uh, like the BNI group, for example, but you're building those relationships, but it's all virtual. Right. Yeah, online groups have actually, they've been great for us. And as you okay. said, we, we don't go into a group and straight, straight away say, hey, we're being ninjas by our bookkeeping service. It's more about just letting people know who we are and trying to help and over time building relationships. And so online groups have actually been a huge source of leads for us and unexpectedly. So where we've done a good job for a couple of people within a group and and then someone else in the group has posted and said hey does anyone know of a bookkeeper and then we've had multiple of our customers write back and say oh talk to Ben talk to Meryl Beanages has been great and so having someone other than us a third party recommend us that's actually has been so valuable and and 
those situations didn't arise from us pushing our service. It came from us trying to be helpful. So um, reviewing people's books, um, giving feedback on websites. We've tried other people's when they've launched a new service. We've tested it and given feedback. So just trying to be really helpful and friendly. And over time, um, yeah, it's paid dividends. Yeah, and to go back to that jab, 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 hook strategy that I mentioned, it's it kind of means like just, you know, leaving comments, being helpful, uh, you know, trying to help other people with their, like, like you work with e-commerce businesses, for example, you know, offering feedback for like an e-commerce website. And then the hook is like every now and then you might post something promotional, whether it's uh, a, a long form blog post, for example, like you might put that in the group or you might extend an offer, you know, for like a trial for your service, right? Something like that. Yeah, exactly. I, I think one of the promotions we did, or one of Dan runs seven-day startup challenges every now and then. So we've found that the group has got behind us when we've tried to launch particular products. We launched a zero audit product a little while ago. And so we found a, lo- a lot of group members either tried to sign up for our service directly if it was relevant for them or recommended it to other people. So I guess that was, yeah, similar to the jab, jab, hook. It was a little bit of promotion, but everyone gets on board and tries to help out. I wonder what are some other things that you could post in these groups that would kind of build a little bit of buzz and you could do it under your branding. Like uh, I know Dan Norris does challenges. I know you could do like maybe like contests, stuff like that. So I wonder if like if you could do something that was like, uh, you know, Be Ninja's e-commerce challenge, something like this and uh, get a lot of these business owners to participate and, you know, they get to start interacting with you and your brand. Have you thought about anything like that? I, so I have. I like the e-commerce idea. I haven't actually thought of that. Um, something I have thought of is helping. So when someone comes to us for bookkeeping, normally they're an established business um, because to outsource a business function like bookkeeping, the, the business needs to have a certain revenue for it to make sense. But smaller businesses still need to be doing bookkeeping. And usually it's the business owner that is doing that or one of the founders so I have thought about a challenge to maybe a you know four-week challenge to get your zero account set up and the basics of bookkeeping for you to do it, for you to do it yourself with the idea that as a business scales, then it would make sense to outsource it to someone like us. Thinking about it is as far as I've got. So maybe that's what <laughs> we'll work on for Dan or one of the next challenges. Yeah, it's a tough one, but I think there's great potential there. We had uh, we interviewed the CEO of Funify, and he did this uh, like personality test that he set up on his website. And his target market was uh, parents. So the personality test was basically, you know, what type of parent are you? And, um, you know, they would fill in the answers, and then they would get like some celebrity mom or some celebrity dad. And... <laughs> And it was a lot of fun, and he, he blasted it out on, uh, you know, Facebook, social media, and, you know, they got like 7,000, I don't know the exact number, but like around 7,000 email subscribers from that contest, you know, from, from spending just a little bit of money, you know. Um, so that was one big one, like a personality test, like, uh, I, you know, I think it could work for a lot of niches, you know, maybe not for like a bookkeeping, or maybe like, you know, maybe like what type of e-commerce. <laughs> what accountant are you? <laughs> or something, Yeah. yeah. But you could just fill in the blank, like instead of parent, you know, fill in your target market. Um, I don't know, like you wouldn't think that like successful CEOs would be interested in that stuff, but you'd be surprised, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do some more thinking about this. I like it. <laughs> yeah, so I actually found out, I found uh, the CEO of Funify through Reddit and it was like a growth hacking post. Uh, we can put a link to that in the show notes if you want to check that out, get more info. What are some of the other online groups that you've been a part of? You mentioned Dan's, Dan Norris's seven-day startup. Um, are there others that you've had good results with? Yeah, so Dynamite Circle was the first group that we were part of, and that was actually the group that I met Ben in. So we were in a mastermind group together there, and quite a lot of our initial customers also come from that group. I'm part of James Schramko's Superfast Business, and I also went down to the kids' conference in March this year. So we try and go to the face-to-face events if we can, but it's the online groups and interacting it's throughout the forums that have also been effective. So I'd say they're the main paid groups. And then we're also part of some free groups too. So Dan Norris has a free group. Um, there's a zero-to-scale free Facebook group. 
sometimes interact with and then I'm also part of some uh, bookkeeping and accounting business owner groups so we actually run a group called innovative accountants and bookkeepers which is for accounting firm and bookkeeping firm owners to collaborate and and potentially also send each other referrals so that's a great hint there because I've actually heard that a couple of times as some of these high-level mastermind groups with successful entrepreneurs um, it's a kind of a culture of abundance. If you want to find established business owners to work with, uh, a small investment, you know, I think like James Shremko's group is what, like $300 a year or something like that? Yeah, that's about right. I think we pay, yeah, yeah 60, that's 60 dollars a month. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so it's, and it's, um, it's a, and it's a small investment. Because of that it is, but because there is that investment, it, it changes the, the caliber of who is in that group. So right. it's different. Some of the, the conversations, I'd say, are higher level than some of the free groups just because business owners are at a slightly different stage. Yeah, and I was just writing an article about this. It was about uh, abundance versus scarcity mindsets. And, um, you know, whenever I would assess a client, like I think one of the most important things I would look for is, you know, are they scarcity-minded? I would look at their language, you know, or are they abundance? Because if they're abundance, you know, they're more likely to be a good client. Um, I would look at, you know, do they have actual employees, you know, working for them. Um, if they don't, you know, if they're just a solopreneur, then I, it's usually not a good fit. And so... This, that's a great point. And I haven't thought of it in terms of the abundance and the, scarce, the scarcity mindset. But we do something similar when in our initial, we call it the triage process. So when we have a new lead come in and we're trying to work out whether we're a good fit. And so... Bookkeeping is often one of the first outsourced tasks, but if the business owner doesn't have that outsourcing mindset, then it can be hard to let go. So that's one of the things we look at, which is a a little bit similar to you in the solopreneur assessment. Yeah, it was kind of like, um, you know, when you mentioned you were studying your kind of clients you're working with trying to get a profile, like that's what I noticed most of all is that, you know, the people that uh, like they couldn't afford to hire someone, you know, they would be like, really stringent about every single dollar that they might spend with you and they want to get as much out of you as they possibly can versus, you know, if I have a client who's like, um, like in my, my former business, one was like a flooring contractor company and it was like a big company. They had maybe like 200 employees. So for them, it was no, no big deal, you know, to spend, you know, $2,000 a month on SEO or something like this. And they didn't, they didn't hound me the way that, you know, a lot of these uh, smaller accounts did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so so I think that it's that's great. I'm glad that you brought up Dynamite Circle, uh, James Shramko, Super Fast Business. I know Dan Norris has a seven day startup pro that you can pay to join. And uh, what, one great thing about that is that the leads are pre qualified. You're also surrounding yourself with other successful people. There's a culture of abundance and uh, just you know forward thinking and growth, right? Yeah, I think just looking at some of the discussion. We get a lot of ideas just from the questions that people are asking. So there might be a post about what's the best email automation software you're using or how are you integrating this? And then the feedback that the rest of the group members give, it's so valuable. It's, it's, I find it far more effective than researching it on Google and reading five different articles and blog posts. You're getting immediate feedback from people that are at a similar stage of business to you. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, but if you were to pick... <laughs> If someone was not in any of these, which which one would you say they should pick to start with? So I'd say it would depend on what their goals are. Okay. So if so, Dynamite Circle is more focused for lifestyle entrepreneurs and travelers. So if some if that is someone's main goal to run a lifestyle business, an online business where they can travel and then they don't have to be in a fixed location, then I would say Dynamite Circle. Um, if they're wanting some, um, that if they're a little earlier stage and they want really fast feedback to their questions, I'd say I get the quickest responses and the the most engaged group of members are in Dan Seven Day Startup Pro, and then Super Fast Business. There, I would join that if I was if I had an, an offline business that I was trying to take online and I wanted specific feedback about internet marketing, and I'd say they're probably the most business focused, whereas. Dynamite Circle also has a lifestyle focus. Excellent. Okay, so we talked a little bit about lead generation. We talked about uh, targeting your market. I'd like you to walk me through your sales process a little more, um, especially like do you have uh, 
do you feel like you need to create like a no-brainer offer? Do you feel like uh, do you still handle consultations personally for your business? These are some of the questions that I have that I want to ask you. Yeah, so our sales process has evolved over time. So initially, either Ben or I would take a sales call and we didn't really have an exact process. We'd just kind of wing it and ask a lot of questions and understand where what the customer's frustrations were and then um, explain whether they would whether we thought they would fit into one of our packages and one of our service offerings. And our goal eventually is that we we don't need to handle the sales calls. Well, actually, take you a, a step further back, we actually were hoping that people would sign up directly online and we wouldn't actually need to have a sales call. But we've realized, at least in the short term, that's not going to happen. So I'd say for at least the next 12 months, we, a, a phone call will be part of our sales process. So the way it works now is that... Because <laughs> oh, I'm laughing because um, we, just, we just had Russ Perry on the, the podcast. I asked him the same thing and uh, he, he says he just has a sign-up form on his website because he has 360 clients right now and his goal is to get to 500. He's like, he's like I would go crazy if I had to have calls with all these people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we want to get to that point. I, th- I think because bookkeeping is a high-trust purchase and we're not well-known enough yet, we can't rely on just our brand and our reputation. And we probably don't have enough. We don't really have video content. There's probably, I think, a few more. That's our goal is eventually we, we don't need to. <laughs> that would be lovely. Um, but we know there's quite a few things we need to have in place before we can get rid of the sales call. So at the moment, we our leads come in through live chat or through contact form or sometimes through email. And then we'll reply back and go through our triage post, basically ask a series of questions and work out if we're, we think that we're a good fit. And then from there, we send them a booking link to book a call with Ben, my business partner. And then it's a half hour scoping call where we understand more about their business and exactly what they want out of bookkeeping. And then after that, Ben will send a follow-up email and a, a link to the sign-up form. And usually after that, uh, someone will feel satisfied that they can trust us and that we'll keep their data secure and we'll do a good job. And so it's usually at that point that someone will sign up. So you feel that your lead-to-client conversion ratio is pretty high? Yes. Yeah, so if if someone is on a call with Ben and then you, usually, so if they're, if our product offering, so if, if the bookkeeping services that they're after are included in our packages, then we have a, a pretty good conversion rate. And usually they're, they're qualified leads that are coming through. So most of our leads would they'll either know us through an online group they've had a friend that's recommended us they'll know about us in some way so they already know a little bit about us and then they just have a few questions about exactly how it all works or they might have not done their bookkeeping for nine months and and want to know how that gets caught up and how fast we can do it what would you say is most important for uh converting leads to clients does it come down to i mean there's so many things like there's rapport there's the offer you present. I mean, there's being persistent and following up. Is it a matter of credibility and testimonials or is it all of them? What would you say is most effective? I think it's a combination of, of all of the things that you mentioned and I think it depends on what you're selling. So I keep on talking about bookkeeping being a high trust purchase and I th- I'll give you an example. So we ran a Facebook ads campaign for a zero audit, which is us doing a 100-point check of someone's zero file and we were selling that I think it was for something like $79 and we ran a Facebook ads campaign where we offered to do that for free for up to 10 customers in a month and we had a whole lot of people sign up for that and then no one would share their zero login because they were worried about sharing their if we have zero access we have people's bank account details (laughs) Uh, we, we have access to private data. So that was a, a learning experience for us in realizing that it highlighted the importance of building trust and our credibility first. So I actually rang up. I, I um, Googled the phone numbers of a couple of people that had signed up and called them to find out why they weren't sharing the details. And they said, well, they weren't sure if it was a scam or not. Um, it sounds like <laughs> Facebook those, ad- like, uh, advertising for the zero audit. Yeah, it sounds like one of those Nigerian trust fund scams. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we took that ad down pretty quickly. Um, but 
that was a learning experience that not many bookkeepers advertise on Facebook and it felt unfamiliar and so people were concerned. And yes, it was a great value that they were getting this 100-point check and advice for free, but it wasn't worth the risk. So that highlighted to me that as part of the lead conversion process from lead to sale, I'd say for our product, credibility and trust are really high. And I'd say price is less important. So it's a factor, but the most important factors would be credibility and trust and that believing that we will do a good job. Very cool. So you got some very valuable data from what was a failed advertising experiment. And I really love what you said. You said, <laughs> it was, you said it was a learning experience. And I think that um, the way that you frame that is so important because, uh, you know, failure doesn't, doesn't stop you. You know, you just you learn something very valuable from it. And I think a lot of people, uh, they're afraid to try things because, they, you know, they fail, they take it personally or, uh, you know, they, they realize they might not be as much of a genius as they thought. Yeah, well, it was funny with the Facebook ads. The selling the zero audit didn't work well at all, um, but it was interesting. We had some some benefits that we hadn't actually thought of. So we actually had two new customers sign up who had seen the ad and were already thinking about contacting us, but just hadn't got around to it. So the Facebook ad for the zero audit triggered them to get in touch and then sign up for our ongoing bookkeeping. And we've tried again with Facebook ads recently and this time for our hiring process. So we're currently hiring a US bookkeeper and another Australian bookkeeper. And so our job ads have actually, we've had one new, new bookkeeping customer and three leads from our hiring ads. So it's interesting. I think everything's marketing. I wasn't really <laughs> thinking of our, our hiring ads as a way of generating leads. But. So that's so funny. I was actually thinking that you know maybe companies should run hiring ads before they're e- even ready to hire someone because at least it gives off this impression that your business is really successful if you're hiring people. <laughs> you know, I thought that might be like a smart kind of uh, tactic. You know, what do you think? Yeah, I think so. It, it gives you, yeah. It, so I think what's intrigued. Well, I'm, I'm guessing here. So our hiring ad is a picture of me working from a surf resort and um, explaining that we're looking for bookkeepers that can, with the option to work remotely and with flexible hours. And I think that's intrigued people. So it's an interesting image. And then once someone comes to the website, then they, they have a look around and they think, oh, maybe this would be a good company to actually pay to do our bookkeeping. But it, it also does, as you said, it, it does give the impression of a bigger company too and, and yeah. plants the seed for potential employees. We've had staff come to us that have been thinking about it but haven't been in a position to leave their current job now, but they might come to us in six months' time. Yeah, some great lessons here. And you mentioned uh, another podcast that you're a fan of, Tim Ferriss, and one of the section headers that he has in that book, uh, Four Hour Workweek, is how to appear huge, you know, like actually using uh, job titles that aren't like founder or CEO because it just screams startup, you know, just be like a middle manager or a director or a VP, something like this. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's all about, you know, faking success until you really make it, right? <laughs> Maybe I need to look at my uh, email signature. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some other great lessons here too, is like you're just, you're just putting stuff out there, you know, putting stuff out in the world. You never know what opportunities are going to come from it. Um, you know, looking at everything like a test, like running an ad, you've got to be a scientist, you know, you got to look at it like a scientist. I think it's a mindset you need to be successful, you know, just test things, see what works, put stuff out there. Um, you might not get the, the primary result or the primary benefit that you were after, but you never know what secondary and third uh, tertiary benefits or results might come as a result. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think you made a couple of great points there. One is that you might not get your primary result that you're after, but there's other things that you might not have even considered. And then the other is just approaching everything scientifically. So take small steps and and test it and then look at the data and make a decision and then either repeat what you're doing if it's working well or or adapt. And that way you're not taking big risks and you're you're basing your decisions on data rather than on feelings. Yeah, that's a great point. And then to use everything you learned into uh, creating the business, growing it, scaling it up. Uh, do, do you guys find that you have a system worked out now that, 
has been your vehicle for growth now, would you say? I think so. so what was holding us back from, from growth was having repeatable systems and having Ben and I out of the ongoing bookkeeping work. And I'd say we're almost there. So we have a bookkeeping manager now that will run. So she's still, we're still in the process of training her. So she's been in that role for a bit over or a couple of months now. And we can see she's fantastic. So once she's complete, it will be at a point soon where she's running the bookkeeping team and Ben's role will just be handling the sales calls and my role will be looking after marketing and lead generation and then together Ben and I look at the strategy. So I feel like now we're primed for growth, whereas when we didn't have our systems and we didn't have our manager in place, we were still involved in a lot of the the service delivery. So we really couldn't grow too fast. But now we, over the last year, we've we've created our systems we have systems for when new bookkeepers join us and they're trained on how everything works and our client handover process. So we have a lot of documented procedures and videos and, and training so that I think now we're ready to grow quickly. Do you have certain metrics for growth that you track and measure on a daily, I'm sorry, a weekly or a monthly basis such as uh, lifetime value of your customers, customer acquisition cost, conversion rate on your website, or your advertisements? And which would you say are the most important ones to focus on? So the main one we track is our monthly recurring revenue and the number of customers. And so that gives us an indication of how quickly we're growing each month and also if we're selling more of the expensive packages compared to the cheaper packages. In terms of our leads, because we don't have that many leads per month, sometimes we might only have 20 or 25. We So we track that in Trello. We don't actually put a number on it. We just go in every month and see where everyone's moving along in the, the lead process. But as we get bigger, I'd say we would need to actually run reporting on that. And then in terms of marketing, our content marketing, we have ideas about how we would like it to work and what results we'd like it to deliver. But I think we're still too new. So we've only had a content marketing strategy in place for probably three months. So we're still working out what the best mat- metrics to track are. So we look at things like our number of email, email subscribers and month-on-month growth. But because we're still fairly new with our marketing strategy, we haven't actually clearly worked out. We're still tracking a lot of different metrics and we're trying to work out what are the key ones that are, are driving our business. But from a revenue point of view, we're, we're clear. When you plan out your content marketing strategy, do you have an ideal customer avatar that you write to? Because I feel like the, uh, the potential for businesses that you could work with as a bookkeeper are, I mean, it's almost unlimited as far as the number of online businesses out there. All of your leads and clients come from online, do you find that it's better to focus on a specific uh, segment of that market that responds uh, better to what you guys have to offer? Um, so I, I, we have quite a few. With it, so online businesses is quite broad and then there's a lot of sub-markets within that. The, so the bookkeeping market is huge. So we're in multiple countries and there's thousands of online businesses. So I think the market is already huge for us. It's more about finding, yeah, finding the right, finding the right fit within those markets. So, well, one reason I ask is because when you find those segments of markets online, then you have a really good idea going in what type of content that you like to produce. You know, whether they have uh, questions, whether this market has specific questions about bookkeeping or um, you know tax questions and. Uh, you know, maybe some segments of the market respond better to certain types of content and you can rank really well for SEO. Have you had any experiences with that and what, what have the results been like? That's right. We, so occasionally we have a couple of blog posts that are related to specific, so Zero and Stripe or Stripe and Shopify. So some of those posts do well, well, not well for us SEO-wise. I wouldn't say well for an, an internet marketer. So they generate a little bit of traffic for us where someone's searching how to do something. So we write a few posts like that. But most of our other blog posts 
we promote them on social media and then someone will come to our website and read it that way. Rather, I, would, I don't think many people would, would find that through SEO. We're not really focused on SEO with our content. For us, it's more creating interesting articles and building trust with that. So hopefully, try, first of all, trying to write them in an interesting way so people will read them. And then it's about building our credibility so it's really just about priming those relationships, warming those relationships over time so that when people need you, when their, their business gets big enough or they need some help with their bookkeeping, they don't want to do it themselves, uh, they know where to find you. They know where to go to, to start to work with you guys because you've been putting out content out there that they've enjoyed and they remember your name so they know where to turn. Yeah, and even with content, we've tried to build relationships where we'll write a particular article and we'll know of someone that is an expert in that field and or an, an influencer and so we'll reach out and see if we could get a quote or if we can help them in some way and then and put that into the article. So I suppose that's how we've thought of relationships in terms of content marketing. And sometimes it's hard to track exactly what content is delivering. I would say it's a combination for us when a lead comes to us, they probably have read a couple of our blog posts and they might have heard us on a podcast and they might have seen some of our posts in a group. And so it's a combination of all of those things that encourage them eventually to sign up for our service. But but it's hard to track that. And I found that hard. Being an accountant, I'm numbers driven. I love data. I love looking at reports and tracking trends. And so that's that's something I've struggled with, with content is to, especially when I'm talking with my business partner about how I, yes, I think it's going well this month, but the metrics don't necessarily support that. Considering all the different tasks and duties and responsibilities that you have as a business owner, how do you find the time to write? Do you set aside certain days in your schedule or uh, you first thing when you wake up, do you just write a little bit of content? How do you maintain this writing habit and creating content? Because I think that's something that's a lot of people say, yeah, I should do that, but it's really time-consuming and uh, they just they don't have the mind to just sit down and write, I think. So Ben and I have – we have our separate responsibilities in the business. So – and then within those areas of responsibility, there's some tasks that need to be repeated regularly. So I'm responsible for publishing a piece of content every two weeks on our blog, a weekly newsletter, and I write for a couple of off-site um, magazines and blogs as well. So they're my uh, regular tasks. So I have time blocked out in my calendar on particular days to deliver those. And sometimes those steps require interaction with other people. So um, having the images created and we get some help with formatting the blog post. So all of that needs to go into a schedule so that the if there's different people involved, it gets delivered on time. And then the, so it can be a struggle separating daily or weekly tasks with projects. So Ben and I also have a list of projects and we work out what the what the priority is. So one of our most recent projects that we've just finished was onboarding. And so we set out set aside time in our calendar for us both or individually to work on that and then make sure that we we ship that and then we move on to the next project. And so our next project at the moment is hiring. So I guess we so I'm big on blocking out time in my calendar so that things happen. And we also use Trello for our, to track what our tasks are and to prioritize them and for Ben and I to agree. I guess we, we help each other. So if I think he's not focusing on the right things or he thinks I'm not, we're a, a bit accountable to each other about how we prioritize. And i big on scheduling things. If they're, if they're not in the calendar, then they're probably not going to get done. Yeah, that's so great. I think it's really important for entrepreneurs to really block out time in advance for certain activities because it's so easy to just wake up and you have all of these different things that you could be doing and you don't know what to prioritize or what to focus on. And if you can just, you know, eliminate that confusion, eliminate that, that those moments of indecision and put them in your calendar so that you have certain days for certain tasks or, um, you know, you hold all your meetings on one day, for example, of the week then that really uh, frees you up to kind of free up your creative powers, your, your brain powers, so that you can uh, put it in a direction that's meaningful, something that's really going to drive your business forward, some important activity that you need to accomplish. Yeah, and I like to know the night before what I'm hoping to, well, what I'm planning to achieve the next day and have that scheduled in. And also, I actually put in my calendar when I'm going to yoga or when I'm surfing or when 
I want to go mountain biking because if I don't put that in, then work can just creep into everything. So it's, I think scheduling is important to get work done, but also to have boundaries. So if you only give yourself half an hour to complete a task and then you have to work really hard and get that done and stay focused so that then you can go out and do something fun. So Ben and I both do that, is try and give ourselves short timeframes to get something done and then sit down and do it, no distractions, and then move on to the next thing rather, and, and not half do something. So finish it and then move, move on to something else. That's great. So you've created this efficient business with routines and systems, something that was completely different from your consulting business before. It's manageable. You can track your results. You can easily deliver a great product. You have your operations routine and systemized. Do you feel like you've created a lifestyle business for yourself at this point? I'd say we're not quite there yet with the lifestyle business, but almost. It's definitely better than the consulting business because my clients used to have my mobile number. So I would get called uh, in the evenings, on the weekends, and I'd have to drop what I was doing. Whereas now we have more structured work hours and we don't, it's just email support, which means that we can, we can manage when we're doing the work better. We, the first six months we worked really long hours and Ben and I actually have been doing a timesheet the last three months. And the main purpose of that is to stop us working too many hours. We felt like maybe we were at risk of burning out. So now we, do, we actually, I, Ben stops at four every day and spends the evening with his daughter. And then he sometimes goes back to work in the evening and I try and finish by five every day. I, I mean, I start work early in the morning. I normally get up at five and start work and then have a break for exercise during the day. Um, so we're not there yet, but our goal is gradually to reduce it. So income-wise, we still have other businesses as well. Bean Ninjas isn't paying us or isn't fully supporting us. But I'd say in six months' time, we'll be earning enough from Bean Ninjas that we don't need to do any other work and also that we will have created systems so that the majority of the work is being done by other people and, and hope the goal is that we're working less than 20 hours a week. I'd say we're still probably six months away from that. Well, that's really excellent, Meryl, and I just want to say congratulations for your success that you've had so far and where you guys are going. I think it's really inspiring and uh, to all the people out there, it shows them that this really is possible, that you can do this. And yeah, I just wanted to say congrats on your success so far. Thank you. Yeah, we're really proud of, of where we've come, actually. It's been, it has been a lot of hard work, especially in that first six months, and it didn't feel like we were really getting paid for that work in, in, because we were setting up systems in the first six months. <laughs> but, yeah, it's ex exciting, and it's a, it's a fun business. I'm enjoying it, too. It takes a lot of time and effort and work to kind of get it off the ground initially and to uh, perfect all the systems and make sure you have all the processes down the best that they can be. Uh, but it's it's really worth it because you're creating something that's sustainable. You're creating an asset that's going to continue to deliver value over time, building brand recognition, building customer loyalty. Yeah, and, and that's what we're wanting to to build that asset. And how it probably will never be completely passive income, but the idea is that it will be mostly passive income eventually. So I really covered a lot in this interview and. I just want to ask you, is there any advice that you would like to give listeners, anything that we haven't touched on or something you'd like to leave the listener with? I'd probably say that I'd recommend productized services as a great business model. I wouldn't necessarily say they are the best business model to start with. So I came from, I did consulting first and I'd recommend doing some consulting or freelancers for freelancing before jumping into a productized service, just so that you get a chance to talk with a lot of potential customers and understand their problems before you try and productize that. So I definitely encourage other productized services and I think there's a lot of opportunity out there for different, in different industries. Um, but maybe if it's your first business, think about doing some freelancing or consulting work first. I just want to say thank you so much for your time and all of the wisdom that you've shared with us. It's been really great, Meryl. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot, Danny. It's been great. Enjoy I enjoyed the chat. So if someone wants to go and get more information from you, if they want to check out what you're up to, what do you recommend? Where should they go first? Yeah, so our website is probably the best option or our Facebook page, which is B 
Bean, so B E A N, Ninjins, or maybe you can put a, a link to that too, Danny. So, how did you guys settle on that name, Bean Ninjas? Yeah, <laughs> good question. So, so we wanted something that related to accounting. So, accountants are often called Bean Counters. So, Bean was we thought related to the industry, and then we wanted something that was a bit modern and not your typical boring accountant. So we thought of ninjas as they're great at what they do. They're in the background, stealth. <laughs> so that's where we came up with the name. <laughs> I like that. So you guys were able to take something that's usually thought of as kind of boring, like uh, bookkeeping and kind of make it a little more interesting and exciting. Sorry, I don't mean to call it boring, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It is boring. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Meryl. This has been a great chat and a great way to start out my day. Just wanted to thank you again for your time and take care. Thanks a lot, Danny.